0: Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland.
1: On today's show, intergenerational farm transfer is viewed as one of the most complex and difficult decisions that a farmer has to make in his lifetime. How do you make it work so every member of the family is happy? Is that even possible? Or is it the process and not the end result that's important? In part two of our series on transitioning the family farm from one generation to the next, MNP Farm and Family Advisor Bob Tosh will talk about how to get started, setting a realistic timeline for getting it done, and why it's important for all family members to have an opportunity to speak to the subject. And keeping agricultural plastics out of our landfills and ditches is a goal of Clean Farms, a nonprofit organization that leads a recycling program for everything from pesticide and fertilizer containers to grain bags. Clean Farms General Manager Barry Friesen says farmers are getting the message and recycling plastics like never before. But what happens to those plastics? Once they're turned in and he'll tell us how the program is being received right across Canada and how the pandemic is affecting their future plans. When we come back, Bob Tosh.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: MNP Farm and Family Advisor Bob Tosh is back again to delve into the challenging topic of intergenerational farm transfer. The last time we spoke, Bob, we talked about fair versus equal when it comes time to talk about transitioning the farm. You make an interesting point about how each member of the family should be involved in the process, whether they're active on the farm or they just come home for a visit
2: and that means that all family members should have an opportunity to be involved in the decision that doesn't mean that everyone's going to get their own way it doesn't mean that, that people can can hijack the situation or you know kind of um hold mum and dad to ransom that's not okay that behavior isn't okay it's just saying, did you have a voice? And is that voice, was that voice heard? And even if you didn't get what you wanted out of it, did you at least feel that you, um, your point of view was expressed? So you've got to go back to this, what do we think a successful outcome looks like in going through a succession process? And the reality is that, that, you know, dad could say, well, the successful outcome is not paying tax and the farm goes to the next generation. But mum could say, well, no, a successful outcome is is all family members still having Christmas dinner together. And the reality is that, again, that, 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 that possibly, and this is my version of what I think success looks like, is is did we, could we get consensus? And consensus is not necessarily absolute agreement, but a general agreement that we've gone through a fair process and here's the reasons behind the decisions we're making.
1: And we're talking about the ability for each family to flourish and gain financially, but that, that's a tough one, isn't it?
2: Do all family members have the opportunity to prosper? The word is opportunity there, you know, we can't, we can't control personality types, we can't control economic success, but we can offer reasonable levels of opportunity to everyone. So I fight quite a lot with other professionals who use the term fair and equal aren't the same thing as an excuse to say, well, you can do what you want now, because that's probably not okay. Especially now that we're dealing with asset values in the millions of dollars, it's you're you're probably asking for for trouble if you just say, you know what, fair and equal aren't the same things. So let's suck it up. Probably better to say, we don't have a magic answer. We're going to include you in the discussion, and then we're going to let you know why we've made the decision. You don't forget that mum and dad are the keeper of the keys. They are the founding generation. They have built the business to what it is. Their needs need to be met, um, especially in in later life. Um, their expectations and hopes, you know, especially with the tradition of farms where. You know, the continuity of the farm is extremely important. These are all very valid parts and pieces of the puzzle. Um, And so you can see that then that kind of stepping into that world of engaging in a process that includes all the kids where there's a fear that, yeah, we're going to hit some roadblocks because we're going to get kids who want something different. Well, perhaps don't be as fearful of that, because they'll know that they might not get what they want, but they will appreciate the opportunity for having been heard, rather than simply going, I didn't have any choice in the outcome of that, I didn't have any input in the outcome of that, and I didn't like the way it ended up.
1: I'm speaking with Bob Tosh, who is part of MNP's Farm Management Consulting Group, and we're talking about farm transition planning. Now, during some of your presentations, you've made a reference to, uh, let's say, an elderly woman living in a care home who was afraid to tell her children about the decisions she's already made about her holdings and her farm, because, as she said, all of her children still came to visit her. And that's really sad, but it's also the reality of some of the situations so how do we get the ball rolling it's not going to happen overnight and i've heard you say that you if you haven't started perhaps you shouldn't even try to do it on your own
2: there's no embarrassment in not knowing how to do this nobody's taught anyone uh you know here's 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 the farm and here's how you're going to transition it but that isn't how it works like most farm fans are very uh, operationally focused so they you know it's production that they focus on. They don't really like to deal with the, the 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 what goes on in the periphery, and I guess you could call this as a periphery um, topic. So, so don't fear that that you're not equipped, but do be do accept that you might need to invest some time and money. And then, and don't be embarrassed by that either. Uh, You know, like you are are transitioning, it's a very complex transaction that you're going through. So you're transitioning wealth, and wealth isn't just financial wealth, there's a whole host of other things that you can call wealth. And um, so it's, there's some responsibility, if you want to say that, that goes with that transition of wealth to the family. So, don't fear using getting help. Pick your pick your um, advisors carefully, um, and allow them to start the process with you to some extent for you, um, so that we can get momentum. It, Be aware that when you start a process like succession planning, it's not a straight line uh, where we start at one point and we end at the other. Think of it a little bit more like a coiled spring where you, you go backwards and forwards and sometimes you think you've got the answer and something changes or you need time to contemplate and you might change your mind. And all of those are valid.
1: So how do you begin? And if you're meeting with the family for the first time and you really don't have any knowledge of that particular farming operation, what's your approach?
2: I start the process with one-on-one family, and family member interviews. And then I, I kind of um, gather that information into a document that just gives the family some feedback that says, Okay, here's what everyone's thinking. I don't name names, and I don't. Um, I never say some. This this some this person said this, or this person said that. I'll just say, generally, the family is uh, uh, communication might be challenged, or there is an area of concern, or you know, the family aren't really that aware of of how the management transition is going to work. And just give the family feedback. So, and then you're still at the front end of this process so that we can create some sort of roadmap. I call it an action plan that says, okay, here are some of the key things that you need to do and deal with. And then we can move through that at the family's pace and at the family's order of prioritization. Because some families think that the structure of transfer of ownership is extremely important, whereas others think that um, getting their estate plan, their wills correctly written, is the first thing we should do. Um, Most, if we're fair, are at least driven by tax and want to make sure that they utilise the rules that farms enjoy in their ability to transfer on a tax deferred basis. So often, you know, that becomes part of the, the planning process. But, yeah, how do we start this? Uh, by coming in and having a conversation that's, that, that educates people and says, okay, do you want to engage in this process? Do you want to facilitate it to help you start this process? And, um, you know, take it from there. But, but kind of don't sit there thinking that you need to do it on your own.
1: So it might be a little painful, but get started and, and get started now.
2: It doesn't hurt. Usually the first step doesn't really cost you anything, and a little bit of time. And, you know, I... Oftentimes I'll meet with families for for the first hour or two and have a conversation and they'll go away and they'll they'll think about it and they might go and talk to other people, they might um, get busy. But it's not unusual for me to see them again in sort of 12 months, even two years later when they've absorbed and um, reflected. And then perhaps something like a trigger has happened. Where they go? No, oh, now we've really got to get something done. I kind of prefer if if people do are proactive rather than reactive, but we don't always have that choice. But yeah, like, what did it cost to make an appointment to come and chat with me? Nothing. And so, you know, take the step, uh, or me, or whoever you feel comfortable starting that conversation with. You know, um, accountants are probably uh, a good place to start. Um, bankers, maybe. Because um, everyone everyone knows that this is an important part of the process. The continuity of the business is an important part of the process. And so everyone's got some vested interest in, in making sure it, it, it goes as as well as possible.
1: MNP Farm and Family Advisor Bob Tosh. After the break, Barry Friesen with Clean Farms shares some information on the Agriculture Plastic Recycling Program and he has some high praise for farmers who are doing their part to protect the environment
0: digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: Barry Friesen is the general manager of Clean Farms, a non-profit stewardship organization funded by various companies in the crop protection business. Their task is to recycle empty pesticide and fertilizer containers, as well as grain bags. Barry, first of all, let's start off by talking about uh, your report that has been compiled for 2019. So did farmers continue to return uh, um, a lot of their containers and grain bags and such?
0: Yes, we had a great year. We had increases in all of our programs, with the exception of a small container program. And that was really because small they didn't use as many last year. So we actually had an increase in recovery rates, but slight decrease in the amount, total amount. But that's, just, again, simply because the farmers didn't use as many last year.
1: Well, it looks like the numbers on a national basis were pretty big too, so can you run through some of those stats?
0: Sure. Uh, let's talk about our uh, our flagship program has been the Pesticide and Fertilizer Container Recycling Program. There, uh, um, it's, uh, it's the typical container is a 10-liter plastic container and uh, we collected 5.5 million of those containers across the country, of which about 40% are in Saskatchewan alone. And Since the program began in 1989, there's been over, uh, I think, over 130 million containers. And to put that in perspective, how much is 130 million 10-liter containers? If you laid them end-to-end across the Canadian Trans-Canada Highway from St. John's, Newfoundland, to Victoria, B.C., and back, you could do that three times. That's how much plastic was and that plastic... By recycling it, it is not, not filling our landfills, it's not being burnt, and the, the toxins going to the open air, it's not being littered in the countryside. So we've recycled all of those since 1989.
1: It also looks like Saskatchewan is continuing to play a major role when it comes to grain bag recycling, which is great news. There is a deposit or a handling fee on that. So how did that go in 2019?
0: That went very well. Uh, last year was the second year of our program, and uh, we were very pleased to, to see that uh, we had a tremendous increase in recycling. Um, and there was about uh, uh, over 2,000 tons of the material, and, uh, and we had a 40% increase last year over the previous year of, of uh, the grain bags. It was a trem- tremendously well-supported program. Forty-four percent, to be exact, and uh, those materials have all been recycled into new plastic products right here in North America.
1: Okay, so let's talk about those recycling facilities uh, for just a moment. Where are those facilities located that do this recycling?
0: Uh, We we have one main recycler in the United States in Arkansas, and a couple in Alberta right now and we are getting inquiries almost every day about new plants that are looking at our material and looking at these materials and wanting to do uh, recycle them as well so we're very pleased that uh, things are changing we're getting more and more recycling facilities and for us we want them as close to home as possible.
1: And I understand that um, a lot of these recycled items used to go to China?
0: Yes well in fact Over 50% of the world's plastic, waste plastic, used to go to China. And two and a half years ago, China uh, said no more because they were getting a lot of some good plastic, but a lot of really dirty plastic and a lot of garbage. And people were were guilty of sending those. We never sent anything to China. However, we were sending uh, some of our plastic to other overseas markets. Some of the grain bags and during our pilots and the like was going to Malaysia and Vietnam. But you know what? Really... China stopping this has been, a, been a, in my view, a gift to North America and that we're now, rather than exporting these things to other countries, we're able to develop the infrastructure and keep the jobs here at home and make new plastic products out of it. And the ultimate goal is to make a new product out of the old product as well. And so we're getting closer and closer to those ends.
1: We're hearing a lot more about the circular economy uh, as a new way of doing business. So what you're doing is extracting as much value as possible from a resource by recycling it or reusing or repurposing. So eliminating waste and greenhouse gas emissions um, at the design stage. So, So it's quite amazing the wide variety of items that are being made from this recycled agricultural products maybe run through some of those.
0: Well, uh, currently the plastic bags are going to a couple of different things. They they shred them, they wash them, they pelletize them into little plastic pellets that goes in new products. Our uh, U.S.-based uh, recycler, they make new plastic bags out of it. Not a grain bag, but another type of bag, you know, a garbage bag or a recycling bag that people would use uh, in our two plants in Alberta are going to a number of uh, different locations. One is actually working with one of the grain bag manufacturers to see if they can go right back into new agricultural film products. So that whole circular uh, look, the circular economy is really what, where, where we're going for.
1: So it's certainly something that we can be watching for when we're out and about. I'm speaking with Barry Friesen with Clean Farms. He's our guest today talking about the group's work recycling agricultural plastics. So Barry, what's ahead for Clean Farms? The pandemic means adjustments will have to be made. So have your plans changed or are you still proceeding uh, as you had planned last year?
0: Almost everything is going full scale ahead as planned, with the exception of one thing. We do have one program. We collect seed and pesticide bags uh, in Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes, and we were to do a big scale, there was over 200 locations in the prairies where we were going to collect them. We were asked to put that on postponement for one year, so we're going to start up again next year. But that's the only hiccup that we've had, and it was going to be a pilot program, but almost a full-scale pilot this this year, and that was just a one-year delay. So watch for that, and next year we'll be collecting uh, seed and pesticide bags at almost all ag retails across the prairies.
1: So surely the success of the program really just goes back to the farmer.
0: Well, I think the only other thing to, to really note is the fact that we couldn't do this without the help of uh, the end user, and that is the farmer. And uh, I think the reason that we're getting such tremendous uh, good news about uh, and, and participation in the program is that farmers recognize this is the right thing to do. Recycling and safe disposal is the right thing to do with these materials. And they're doing it because they realize... A, it's part of their our own economy by creating the local jobs through recycling. This is far better than digging a big pit and tupping it in the pit, or burning it on the farm. And uh, and I think believe that the farmers recognize that they need. To, they all uh, talk about the fact that they need to leave their land in this good or better condition when they started, because this is where we're growing our food. And uh, they recognize that, and it's really. Uh, the success that Clean Farms is making is a testament to not only our members, but our end, end customer, and that is the, the Canadian farmer. So thank you to that.
1: And I guess uh, just as a wrap, Barry, the annual report is available online?
0: Yes, and it's available on our website at cleanfarms.ca. We would encourage anybody to have a look at it and uh, there's uh, uh, we featured some some farmers and other folks across canada and uh, i would encourage people to have a look at it and uh, and see and-
1: our guest has been Barry Friesen with Clean Farms. It's time for the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of June 8, 2020. Well, it doesn't appear farmers are going to be getting a break on the carbon tax that they pay on natural gas or propane to dry grain, Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said that the tax would cost less than 1% of total farm operating expenses. The Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan said that grain drying is a necessity and there is a lot of crop that needs to be processed, especially last year. CN Rail set a new record for the amount of grain they shipped in May. That was the third consecutive month for record grain movement. Executive Vice President Sean Finn had said that CN moved 23 million tons of western grain to market, despite some setbacks during the start of the crop year. Year. And Finn said CN is in a good position to move grain to market for the rest of the year. Producers were warned to watch for diamondback moths. Crops Extension Specialist John Ippolito says there is a possibility of two or even three generations of the insect affecting canola and mustard, with a high number of moths now being caught in traps earlier in the year. The adults lay the eggs, but it's the larvae that cause the damage, feeding on the leaves and pods of the crops and reducing yields. A new mobile friendly tool has been launched to help forage and livestock producers. Forage, you pick is a new interactive forage species selection tool for western canada it was designed to provide the user with information for forage selection seeding rates weed management and to offer timely and efficient advice Favorable weather across much of the U.S. corn belt is expected to result in crop yields of 178.5 bushels an acre. AccuWeather said there were many variables this spring, including the impact of COVID-19 and a drop in ethanol production, but officials are expecting production of 15.7 billion bushels, which would be a record year for corn production. An animal rights activist said a proposed law to protect farmers from aggressive protesters would trample freedom of speech. The activist told a legislative committee the bill would violate the charter and spark legal challenges. The bill was introduced last year by the Ontario government and would hike fines for trespassing on farms and food processing facilities. A first offense would be $15,000 and up to 25000 for subsequent offenses.
0: The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.